market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he has been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name's Conor Matchett. I'm the Deputy Political Editor at The Paper. This week I'm joined by Rachel Amory, our political correspondent. Rachel, are you well? I am. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so much fun. I'm really enjoying the cold and the wet and the wind and the... Sounds like a very laboured sigh there. (laughs) There's just the general autumnalness of September always gets me down. Although I did at least have my annual September cold while on holiday in Sicily, so I can't really complain. Just showing off that you've been to Sicily. Yeah, I'm going to mention it as often as possible until I forget about it. (laughs) Anyway, Alistair Grant, our political editor, is still away. We'll kick off podcast shortly, but just a quick reminder to make sure that you sign up to the Steamy newsletter, which Rachel does diligently and excellently every single day. You can go on scotsman.com, onto the newsletters tab, sign up for politics newsletter there, and you can sign up to other newsletters as well if you wish. We'll hear from Alex Brown, our Westminster correspondent, later on, um, but we're going to touch on what he's going to touch on, now, which is uh, looking at what we, what came up at FMQs, and obviously the big thing that dominated from Douglas Ross was an oil and gas, which kind of links in quite neatly to Rishi Sunak's Net Zero announcement yesterday. Take us through what Douglas Ross was going on, Rachel. Yes, yeah, so if we just remind ourselves that um, Hamza Youssef, the First Minister, is, well, uh, he has been in the past week in New York, for Climate Week, um, made a, f- a few different sort of uh, announcements and meeting a few different climate leaders over there. That means it was Shona Robertson doing FMQs today, but that also led to Douglas Ross saying, you know, he's over there and he's saying that he doesn't want Scotland to be the oil and gas capital of Europe any longer. And he's saying that this is a disservice to the country because it's discouraging investment into the industry and it's, you know, putting jobs at risk and things like that as well in the northeast. So that was his main point today. Unsurprisingly, the rebuttal there was basically, well, why would we trust you in climate change mm. policies when Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has gone back and delayed a few, quite a few key policies? I think the biggest one that Rishi Sunak has kind of gone back on is the the new petrol and diesel cars that's now been pushed back to 2035. So that's the main sort of contention there that we saw today. One saying you're not doing enough for the oil and gas industry, one saying you're doing a service to the oil and gas industry, etc, etc. So very oil and gas heavy today. Absolutely. We'll come on to kind of what Rishi Sunak's announcement on Wednesday was and what it means and all of that. But I think it's, it's notable, isn't it, just to quickly mention that kind of there were a few good, I thought, quite good turns of phrases from Douglas Ross today. We had, you know, he used a classic SNP line. He accused the SNP of talking Scotland down when it came to their energy background. And he also imported a debate that we don't really have in Scotland to the same degree that, that exists in England around um, protests and protest groups. And um, when he said that, you know, the SNP has moved away from its Scotland's oil towards its Just Stop Oil, obviously referring to the campaign group um, Just Stop Oil, which the Tories have 
tried very, very hard to link with Labour in England. Um, and Shona Robeson kind of responded with, you know, no one is giving up on Scotland's oil, which personally I think is something that she might actually regret in a few years' time. If it's and certainly when. one that can come back to her on, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yes. I mean, it's it's difficult to... It's obviously kind of, kind of very clear where the two sides sit. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain why that would be something that Douglas Ross went on? Because we, we both sat there kind of went, oh, it's a bit of a surprise to a degree that he's gone on this. You know, it's a relative open goal for the SNP. It's very comfortable territory for, for Shona Robeson, nothing that she's not going to struggle with and something that she would have been expected. But why, why did Douglas Ross go on, on oil and gas? I, I believe it's because Hamza Yusuf was in New York talking about the climate change. It's a big talking point this week in UK politics as a whole. And this is sort of a long-standing policy of the Conservatives to sort of say that they're standing up for the North Sea oil and gas industry. So that's probably what he was trying to sort of position himself there as, you know, you've got all these people talking about climate change, people criticising the UK government for their position here, but remember we are the ones that are wanting to stand by the oil and gas workers in the North East. I think that's kind of what it was really and and we were speaking earlier about how this was very much aimed at the North East area as opposed to those in the Central Belt. I can kind of understand because down here in Edinburgh and Glasgow you don't quite get the, just how all-encompassing the oil and gas industry is in the northeast. I used to live in Aberdeen. You can't move without being reminded of how big that industry is, whether it's the posters everywhere, the adverts, the office blocks, every second person that you meet on the street works in the industry. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of get that, yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? We'll touch on Anasawa now and the Scottish Labour's kind of attack, which kind of focused specifically on Shona Robeson's record as health secretary, a commitment she made when she was health secretary about, you know, eradicating delayed discharge. He kind of went down a line of attack on that and obviously delayed just discharges to the thing. I think he claimed that it costs £1.1 billion in wasted public sector funds. He also kind of talked a bit about, you know, income tax rises or prospective income tax rises and prospective council tax rises, you know, with the overall line of the Scottish people shouldn't have to pay for the incompetence and the failure of the SNP in government and also the inflationary economy caused by Liz Truss, so Scottish Labour would say. And Shona Robeson kind of responded in kind in the sense that she went after Keir Starmer and kind of, you know, aligned the Scottish Labour with the Scottish Conservatives. I do feel like we need to get bingo cards for FMQs because it feels like the same things and the same lines (laughs) get brought back up and up every single week at the moment. But it's, it's, it's worth kind of looking at that, isn't it? And it is the same stuff all the time because... It's basically proxy general election debates, isn't it? It is, and I think especially for Scottish Labour, because we've got this by-election coming up, I think a fortnight today, is that right? So, yeah. yeah, in Rutherglen and Hamilton West, which I'm sure... Can't um, be finished sooner. <laughs> I know, it, it feels like it's been going on for a long, long, <laughs> long time. It's Labour's to lose, really. Mm. So, of course, they're going to take every possible opportunity they can to showcase their, their, their wares, essentially. They're wanting to show what it is that they've got on offer. And so I think they're just using FMQs at the moment as just a chance to be on their soapbox yeah. for the election, as opposed to, because like we were sort of saying earlier, what was the main point of his speech? Well, just kind of really to badmouth the SNP and the Conservatives. Yeah. So it just is getting ready for the election, really. And I think as well, you know, going back to Douglas Ross, you know, this is the going on oil and gas is talking to the northeast of, mm-hmm. of Scotland now. 
the party would claim that it's more about the kind of general economy and the idea that you cut off the North Sea and you cut off the Scottish economy. But the truth of the matter is that it's talking to the, what you were talking to earlier, the idea that in Aberdeen, this stuff really matters. In Murray, this stuff really matters. And fundamentally, the Scottish Conservatives could do all right in the North East. Yes, yeah, so if you look at like how many MPs the Scottish Conservatives have right now, I think majority of them are up that neck of the woods, aren't they? I think a good half of them yeah. are, because half of them are in the borders and half of them in the northeast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that thing of, you know, the, the boundaries changed for the general election suggest that there'll be seats in play. I think the party is quite bullish with the potential of gaining a couple of seats from the SNP. And obviously, as we were discussing with Labour, Labour are all about the central belt. They're all about, you know, getting, mm-hmm. talking about cost of living. Let's touch very, very briefly before we throw to Alex on the impact of Rishi Sunak's announcement on the Scottish government's net zero targets. You're doing that story. By the time this podcast goes out, it will be be available to read. (laughs) But at this minute, we don't quite know what the impact of that announcement is on Scottish government net zero targets. Yes, it will have an impact regardless, I'm pretty sure. But particularly with the, with the cars, let's just take that one in particular. Okay. The UK government pushed the back the target to 2035, which now means that the UK government and the Scottish government now have two different target dates mm. because that target is still 2030 in Scotland. Now, um, Dave Dugan, um, the MP for Angus, he has said that, yes, we're probably going to have to move the date now, but we haven't had an official statement that we can that we can go on at the moment. That is coming in about an hour's time. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, it will be all on our website and the Scotsman for you to read. But right now we are just sort of sitting and waiting for Mary McAllen to make that statement in Parliament about what exactly it means for Scotland. Absolutely. Well, let's quickly pop to Westminster and uh, hear from Alex Brown, our Westminster correspondent, who's going to take us through the details of Rishi Sunak's announcement. Hello and welcome to the Westminster section podcast. My name is Alexander Brown. And this week, Rishi Sunak watered down the UK government's climate commitments while repeatedly insisting he was not watering down the UK government's climate commitments. Following an emergency cabinet meeting, the Prime Minister held a press conference on the same day, which doesn't exactly scream long-term planning, even if it did say long-term on the podium at which he was speaking. His words were essentially a masterclass in gaslighting, where he said that a series of measures that were never going to happen in the first place would be blocked by the UK government. This included stuff like separating your rubbish into seven bins, not having taxes on meats, and making sure that people didn't have enforced car sharing. I mean, none of this was ever going to happen, but in a clear attempt to make a dividing line with Labour and make it a wedge issue and use what happened in the Uxbridge and South Royslip by-election and extrapolate it to a wider general election, the UK government has essentially turned on, you know, the small concept of having a planet Earth. Some Tory MPs were incredibly happy about this. They think it doesn't really matter about the climate because they still, they still are committed to net zero by 2050, even if, such a, you know, even if measures such as having no new uh, fossil fuel cars by 2030 has been delayed by five years. But they still think you know, it makes them have a reason. They can say we're on the side of the worker and not bringing in these tough measures. But on the other hand, Boris Johnson has said that they're trashing the UK government's climate legacy. It's been criticised by Biden. 
It's been criticised by business. I think Ford said they've spent you know hundreds of millions of pounds preparing for this, and now for for what? So, all in all, it's short-termism to win a selection of the electorates that's probably not going to keep the Tories in power anyway at a time when people are far more concerned about the cost of living than they are not being able to have a type of car in 10 years or so. It's pretty shameless stuff. I mean, that's a view of the Labour Party, the SNP, the Scottish Government, business, climate groups, basically everyone who hasn't got a constituency and a blue rosette. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. And it is extremely funny because the Prime Minister said this was not about playing politics. And one hour later, a message went out from CCHQ asking, telling journalists to ask Labour questions about their net zero commitments. So it is playing politics. The climate stuff is just a big game to these people. And we'll find out what happens next. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much indeed to Alex for that you know, big intervention by the Prime Minister this week, as we kind of alluded to when we talked about First Minister questions, 100% about the election. As much as he will claim that it's not about politics, I think when a politician says it's not about politics, you can usually make the That's conclusion. That's the job, isn't it? It's job. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly, on, in post-FMQs, it was interesting to, to kind of show, in the, in the briefing that we have, I thought it was notable that... DRS, to bring that major thing back onto the table, is going to potentially be a, de- a concern to the Scottish Government, the idea that DRS in 2025 is probably never going to happen now. That sounds like that's, that's something. But in general, touching on FMQs, it was Shona Robeson standing in for Humza Yusuf. How do you think she did? Um, I... I- I think um, overall she's probably quite happy. She managed to, any time something difficult was thrown at her, she was able to, to rebut back with something. Yeah. I think in particular it came to Douglas Ross, you know, she was saying you're not going to be shouted down by a man sort of thing. So she always had something to come back on. She, I think, spoke quite confidently as well. Didn't go down well with the Conservatives and it was a lot of them on Twitter afterwards um, sort of criticising her. And um, I think it was maybe one of them had also said um, hashtag bring Humza back, <laughs> which I'm wondering if that'll catch on. <laughs> can't believe that we've got the Conservatives wishing, demanding the return of the wishing that he was yeah. back here and so it hasn't gone down well with the opposition but I think overall she can probably be quite happy with how she did there today I think as well like it's fair to say that Shona Robeson obviously has been in this building as an MSP since the very beginning um, since 1999 she is a well-versed mm-hmm. parliamentarian having said that there are concerns about how well she presents in the chamber particularly when it comes to detail But I suppose with First Minister's questions nowadays in particular, you don't really need a whole lot of detail. You just need to be able to to make a political point that that lands and not create a a news story, which is pretty much what she she did. Uh, Yeah, I think I noticed as well some of the other questions beyond the ones from Douglas Ross and Anna Starr where she was sort of going to, well, we'll look into that, we'll we'll write back to you, if you give us more information, we'll get back to you on that, we'll have a look into things. Which is always a good sort of fallback, I'm saying I don't know. (laughs) But I think on the whole, I think it went quite well for her. And obviously, uh, we kind of half expected this morning, didn't we, that um, it would be Shona Robeson, Jackie Bailey as deputy leader of the Scottish Labour Party and Megan Gallagher as the deputy leader yes. of the Scottish Conservative Party. And we also had Alec Cole-Hamilton today speaking for the Liberal Democrats. Weren't expecting anyone different there. But we didn't end up with those two. And no. I wonder how much that says about the confidence of 
those two parties about their deputies. It's interesting. So Megan Gallagher, a reasonably new parliamentarian in the grand scheme of things and mm. quite new to the job of deputy leader as well. I feel like we're still to see her and see what she makes of that role. We don't have any excuses, though, for Jackie Bailey, Absolutely have we? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> no excuses for the dame. <laughs> It would have been a different atmosphere, I think, wouldn't it, at FMQs, if we'd had the deputies? Yeah, I, I think it's, I would have liked to have seen Jackie Bailey doing it, actually. I feel like she would have put Shona Robinson through her paces, I think. Absolutely. We've only got the one more thing to talk about, which is the Gender Recognition Reform Section 35 court case uh, slash challenge judicial review, however you want to call the legalese behind it, which went on this week. And give us the background to that, Rachel, and then you can ask me what the hell went on given that I listened to the two days. <laughs> yes, so this is uh, the Scottish Government's legal challenge. So if we flip our minds back to December 2022... So long ago. I know, I know. <laughs> the majority of MSPs here in Holyrood voted in favour of the Gender Recognition Reform Bill, which aimed to make it easier for a trans person to legally change their gender. Mm -hmm. Very controversial at the time. There was plenty of demonstrations on both sides when the announcement was made. There was celebrations and angry backlash within the chamber and outside the chamber. But it got passed by majority. But then if we fast forward to January 2023, Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack then used a Section 35 order to block this legislation from gaining royal assent. Now, I think everybody in the Parliament thought, what on earth is a Section 35 order? Um, and the reason no one had heard of it is because it had been used before. Yep. It's a part of the Scotland Act that allows the UK government to step in and intervene on policies agreed on in Holyrood, even if it is a devolved issue. So that's why this has been used. It went down very badly with the Scottish Government, saying that it undermines devolution, opens the door to more legislation being blocked in the future. And very quickly they said, no, we're going to challenge this. We're not going to let this slide. And shortly after Hamza Youssef became the First Minister, one of the first things he did was say, this is the legal action that we're going to launch. And we had that in the court session in Edinburgh this week. And it's been your fun job to sit through that this week, hasn't it? I don't know if I'd w use the word fun. I think, in fact, I would use the word other than fun. Which is, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard enough, this topic, to talk about, given the extreme views on both sides. But this was 10 hours, near enough, maybe approaching 11, of detailed, in-depth legal wrangling over what is fundamentally the first time we have ever approached this sort of legal question. I mean, to, to, to give a brief, and I promise it will be brief, kind of overview of the two sides. Um, on Tuesday, you had Dorothy Bain, the Lord Advocate, you know, set out the Scottish government side, which effectively amounts to, oh, it's a two-pronged argument. The first is that Section 35 isn't engaged. For those who don't know what the exact wording is, Section 35 requires a Holyrood bill to have made modifications to the law which result in adverse effects to the operation of the law. Now, you at home, like me, unless you are a public lawyer, are going to be sat there going, what on earth does that mean? Guess what? That's the whole point of this two days of hearing. The Scottish Government's case effectively boils down to we didn't change the law. And even if we did, there's no ad adverse effect. Even if you accept all of these things, the reasons for the decision that were made by Alistair Jack were irrational. Now, they mean that in a legal sense. They mean that in a sense of, you know, a reasonable person looking at the same basic set of circumstances couldn't have come to the same conclusion. The Scottish Government argued that he made that decision 
based on policy divergence and policy disagreement, which, to be honest, I think quite a lot of people politically probably accept. It's a much harder bar to clear when it comes to the law. The UK government, who set out their case substantively on Wednesday, which was the the bulk of Wednesday's hearing, effectively take the point of view which, A, Section 35 was a reasonable thing to do, the law was modified, there are adverse effects on the law as it applies to reserved matters and the reasons for believing that are rational. Fundamentally, (laughs) the case boils down to what Lady Haldane, the sitting judge, interprets the Section 35 order to actually mean and also whether or not Alistair Jack can be said to have made a rational decision. It's incredibly complex stuff. I'm not even going to pretend to say that I understood most of it because it's the sort of thing that you need. You know, there's references to case law and they call them authorities in the court and it's, you know, honest to God, you know, the the lady will be well acquainted with case X and you're thinking, really, will she? (laughs) I'm sure she is. No one else in this building or listening at home. I think that's the problem with this. It's it's moved beyond the actual debate on gender reform, which was quite an exciting debate because people on both sides got very emotive and emotional Mm. about it. So it was an interesting debate to follow and you could see both sides, you could understand both sides of the argument as well. This isn't actually about that. This is about a piece of legislation that's quite technical. It's not fun. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy. It's not nearly as exciting to watch. The only only thing that you could really genuinely follow as a layman was probably the arguments about whether or not what Alistair Jack had in front of him in terms of the information he was taking into account when he made the order, whether or not that was relevant, whether or not that was, you know, allowed him to make a rational decision. And, you know, that's the sort of stuff about international versions of gender identity, whether or not self-ID actually changes how things operate realistically, and also about fraud and fraudulent applications, whether or not the concerns about that are are reasonable. It should be said that we are not going to hear from the lady for a while. The belief is probably by the end of the year, um, Lady Haldane said in her sum-up, yesterday that she would not wait for the results of a different appeal. I won't go into the details of that, but basically part of the Scottish government's argument relied on the result of an appeal going against the Scottish government and that backing them up against the UK government. Complex stuff, blah, 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 blah. Point being, Lady Haldane won't wait around. She'll start writing the judgment before that's finished, which probably means we'll have it by the end of the year, at which point It'll probably get appealed by whoever loses, go to the inner house of the court of session. And once that's done, we'll probably have it in the Supreme Court. So it's a long way away from being... Could be a nice Christmas present for us. Yeah, it could be. I hope I'm off. Uh, (laughs) In any case, that might be a long way from done, but we're not a long way from done. That's all we've got time for this week in the steamy. Look forward to hearing from you next week and hopefully you have a lovely weekend as well. Rachel, thank you very much for joining. Another shout out to go sign up for the steamy newsletter. Go to scotsman.com, click on the newsletters tab, click the politics one, chuck your email address in and do get involved as well. If you've got any thoughts on what's going on in Scottish politics, do email Rachel in response to that newsletter. We want to know what Scotsman readers and Scotsman subscribers think about 
politics in the day today. Um, so thank you very much, Rachel. Um, I know you were busted last night, so you won't have as good a weekend as you did on, on Wednesday <laughs> Never night. Never can, no. Never Absolutely. can. Won't live up to it. We'll be back next week when Alistair comes back from skiving. All right. Thank you very much. See you then. Bye-bye.